This sermon was recorded at the Johnson County Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Our scripture reading is Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. It can be found on page 822 in your pew Bible. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we're really glad that you're here Uh, Let me begin this morning this way. Indeed, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Would you all pray with me this morning? I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, would you come and wake us up? Would you cut us deep? And would you heal us? Would you not heal us lightly to let wounds fester and get infected, would you heal us all the way to the bottom? Convict us, comfort us, carry us, control us. We are desperate people who want to be transformed, who want to be set free. Would you open our eyes today more Would you expand our understanding? Would you increase our affection for Jesus Christ? Would we see him? Would we see him? And walk away changed. Spirit of God, I ask that you would uh, work in our hearts and lives. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, I want, I want that verse that we count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. 
I want that verse to be the kind of anthem verse for this entire sermon series. We're starting a new sermon series this week, and it's titled, Jesus is dot, dot, dot. And we'll fill in that blank a lot of different ways over the next 10 weeks. And today's, um, today's uh, subject is that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. And I want that verse to wake us up and keep us up late and challenge our hearts to grow as a congregation. There's nothing better. Nothing There's nothing better in your life or in the world than knowing Jesus. Nothing. Everything you love in your life that isn't sin is in your life to help you get that, to help you understand that. There's nothing that you love that is delightful, that's a gift from God, that isn't there to help you love Jesus more. Every pain in your life, and I mean every struggle, I mean every betrayal, I mean every single disappointment in your life is there to help you grasp Christ more. For him and through him and for him are all things. And my prayer for us, my prayer for you is that you'd see Jesus. You'd really see him that you'd be able to join Paul as he declares everything else is trash when you set it next to Jesus. When you set it next to him, it's garbage, all of it. I want that for you. And if you're numb this morning, if you have no appetite for the things of God this morning, I've been asking and begging and pleading with the Spirit of God to move and to wake you up and wake us up. Up. Specifically, I want to wake us up to two realities throughout the next 10 weeks. I want to wake us up to the magnificence of Christ, and I want to wake us up to his utter otherness. Otherness. Those are two important concepts that have to attend a sermon series focused on Jesus. You must be presented with God's immeasurable glory and his utter otherness. We're created in his image, but we are created. God is not part of creation. And second, we're fallen. We're fallen from our original state. Things are broken and we're sinful. We're not merely broken We're also corrupt in our natures. So in this series, we'll talk about the excellencies of Christ. We'll pick up, as it were, we'll pick up, as it were, different facets of the excellencies of Jesus, and we will turn them over and look at at them from different angles as we seek to have the beauty and glory and power and majesty of Jesus Christ sink down deeper into the parts of our soul and heart that orient every single thing about us. God's immeasurable glory in Christ. I want to increase and expand our understanding our concept of a particular excellency and not merely expand our intellectual understanding, but we'll seek to be changed by the Spirit as we attempt to apply these realities to our hearts. 
These aspects of Jesus, listen carefully, these excellencies of Christ are not primarily to be fiddled with or to be examined. The glory of Christ isn't primarily to be examined. Christ is to be worshipped. And these facets of his glory primarily are inroads to heartfelt worship. These are paths to worship from the deepest places in your soul. As one famous pastor says, when God calls himself a fountain of living water, well, how do you glorify a fountain of living water? You drink. You drink and drink and drink because he's not going to run out. And what are we to be drinking when a verse like Isaiah 55, chapter uh, Isaiah chapter 55 says, come, 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 everybody who's thirsty, Come without money. Come buy and eat rich food and drink cold water. How do we do that? How do we partake? And this is it. This is what you do. You take a hold of your imagination. You take a hold of your will and you aim them at Jesus. You aim them at Jesus and you look at him. You look at him. See him in his eternality. See him as fully God and fully man. See him in his condescension. See him as the king, as the sacrifice. See him. See him. See all the majesty. See all the power. See unbelievable humility. And be wrecked by pure holiness. Pure, unadulterated holiness. The glory of Christ burns like the sun, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can look at it and be changed. And we chose to open this series this way because how we answer this question, when Jesus says, who do you say that I am, how we answer that question will shape everything in our lives. Everything. So who is he? How will you answer that? Because there really isn't anything else that matters. And I want us to come to grips with how we answer that question in our guts. How do we answer that question when we are surprised or frustrated? How do we answer that question in our hearts? Who is he? Let me start with some bad news. If you're here this morning and you don't know who Jesus is, then you don't know who you are. If you don't know who Jesus is, then you don't know what your life is for yet. If you can't answer this question, then you'll be lost, floating and drifting without direction, without meaning in your life. You see, the answer to this question determines all the other answers to the questions in your life. And I want to walk through three movements today. The first one is I want to talk about the nature of Peter's answer and about how it's, it's, it's about more than just the facts. The nature of Peter's answer is more than just data. Number two, we can't answer this question without God's revelation. The revelation of God is necessary for you to answer this question correctly. And three, our answer to this question changes everything. It changes everything. Everything. Top to bottom, left to right, it changes everything. First, the nature of this question is about more than the facts. When Peter answers this question, he makes a statement about who Jesus is that is much more than a bio and much more than an obituary in a, in a newspaper. He could have said, you're Mary's son. He could have said, you're Joseph's stepson. He could have answered by describing his vocation and identified Jesus as a carpenter. 
There were many other true things about Jesus that could have been said to answer this question accurately, but Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And this statement has monumental implications, and I want to point out that this answer is about way more than merely the facts. And in order to do that, I'm going to talk about two questions. I want to answer the question, what was Peter saying when he said this? And is believing the facts about Jesus good enough? What was Peter saying when he says that Jesus is the Christ? It must be important to understand the significance of Peter's answer because Jesus commends it. And in John's gospel, the writer says, these things, these things, all of these things that I'm telling you are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. John wrote what he wrote so that we, right now, would get it, would get this reality. Let me define it negatively real fast. Jesus isn't merely a good teacher. And Jesus isn't some sort of revolutionary voice. Jesus wasn't some version of speaking truth to power. Jesus has all authority and power in himself. And to talk about it that way is to conscript our modern time onto Jesus. And it's mistaken. Jesus' teaching isn't about nonviolent social change. He's way more than a zealot and way more than a revolutionary. There's an attitude that exists today, especially with regard to sections of Jesus' life, just like the Sermon on the Mount that we just walked through, that see Jesus as just a good teacher. They see Jesus as just somebody with decent advice or a good example of what it looks like to be a human being. People look at places where he says things like, turn the other cheek and judge not, lest you be judged, or treat other people how you want to be treated. And we kind of cozy up to that version and think that sounds pretty nice to me. There's an attitude and a posture that puts Jesus in the same camp as Gandhi or Hammurabi or other philosophical ideas and concepts. But if he's the Christ, then he can't only be a teacher and he can't only be an example. Jesus isn't a self-help philosophy and he isn't He isn't your life coach. Other teachers provide great advice. Other teachers don't require obedience. Other teachers offer helpful insight, but they cannot offer the words of eternal life. Other teachers may provide influence, but Jesus Christ asserts lordship. Christ means Messiah, anointed one, the one that the Jews had been waiting for. This Messiah is spoken of throughout the Old Testament as the anointed deliverer, the, the suffering servant. Listen to Matthew eleven two through 6, when it says, now when John, when John the Baptist is who it's talking about, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And that's the question we're trying to answer right here, right now, because all of you have that question in your life. Is this what I'm looking for? Is this the answer to everything? Is Jesus the one? Is he the one that is to come? Is he the one that was spoken of? Is he the one that was written about? Or should we look for another? That's the answer that Peter is giving us right now. 
And Jesus answered them. He answered John the Baptist's disciples and he said, hey, go tell John what you see and what you hear. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk and lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. Who isn't offended by me. Why why did Jesus say this in, in reply to their question? He said it to get something into John's mind. He wanted John to be thinking of pictures of what the Messiah was supposed to be doing, what the Messiah was prophesied to be doing when he showed up on the scene. He wanted to give pictures to his disciples and to John of what, what it would look like when the Messiah shows up. And he's quoting directly from Isaiah 35. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm, feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. So Peter's identifying Jesus with this guy, with this picture, with this person. Jesus is this Messiah. The people of Israel have a category in their culture. They have a category in their lives, in their day-to-day realities, in their culture and in their history of a time, of a time when somebody would come and fully deliver them fully rescue them. They have an idea of a person and when he shows up, it won't be the way it's been anymore. They have a category that one day we'll be saved. One day God's anointed will deliver us. One day God's anointed will deliver and he will come with salvation. He will come and everything will be different. Everything broken will be fixed. Everything torn will be mended. And Peter in this sentence is saying, Jesus, you're that person. You're that reality. And he's also the suffering servant from Isaiah 42.1, or from Isaiah 53. But before the, the suffering servant, servant is described, we hear again from Isaiah 42, behold, behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he won't break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And in Matthew 12, we find out, we find out that Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them, and he ordered them not to make him known. And we hear from Matthew 12 that all these things were to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 35. In Matthew 12, it explains to us that God will put his spirit upon him, Jesus, and Jesus will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. 
It's Jesus who will not break a bruised reed and he will not quench a smoldering wick until he brings justice to victory and in his name the Gentiles will hope. The words that Peter speaks are pregnant in this culture with meaning and implication. And the question that Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? This morning, right now, is pregnant with challenge and implications for our life, for our reality. And if your answer is merely facts about Jesus, it's not good enough. Jesus is the Christ. He's God's Messiah. And there's a way to know that There's a way to understand that this is the case, but still not have saving faith. And I want us to know that. In Mark 1, 24, a demon is talking to Jesus, and he says, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And then in James 2, 19, it says, Hey, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. There's a way to acquire a sort of surface knowledge about Jesus that isn't an expression of your allegiance to him. There's a love and devotion that demonstrates that we belong to him. He says we're his if we listen to him and do what he says. But we can sit through... We can sit through this entire sermon series week after week after week and not really care about who he says he is. And you can get through 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 years of good church and still not give a rip about who Jesus is. And that's a real danger in this series and it's a real danger in our lives. So I'm asking the Holy Spirit to wake us up. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to wake up our souls, wake up our hearts, that we would really, truly see Jesus. That's my longing for you, is that you wouldn't, my longing for you is that we wouldn't, as a group of people, as a family, as a spiritual family, we wouldn't merely comprehend, but that we would apprehend, that we would capture and be changed by the glory and truth of Jesus Christ. Because if you don't see him, if you don't see him as a beautiful savior, if you don't see him as Lord and king of your life, and I mean king both of what's on the outside, I mean king of how you act and king of how you behave and king of how you organize every aspect of your life, And I mean king also of what's on the inside. King of what you love. King of what you value. King of what stirs your affections. If you don't see him that way, then we need him to do something. Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't tell you this, Peter, but my father revealed it. Revelation is necessary. Revelation is necessary because we don't have what it takes to answer this question on our own. Think about Matthew 13 with me for a second. In Matthew 13, Jesus leaves one scene and context and goes to his hometown 
And he's teaching, just like he does in the other places of the Gospels. He's teaching with power. He's teaching with authority. And people from his own town are astonished. They're impressed. Verse 53 says, When Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there, and he came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogues, so that, so that they were astonished. And they said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? And in contrast to some verses that we read earlier, and they were offended by him. They didn't see him. They didn't see him for who he was. To engage this series focusing on Jesus, we need to be pleading and praying and looking to the Spirit of God to give us the right kind of eyes. We got to be on our faces asking and seeking and knocking and asking and seeking and knocking. We need to be reading the revelation of Christ in the scriptures and asking and pleading and praying that the Holy Spirit would illuminate these scriptures in our hearts, these truths about Christ in our hearts. You don't have what it takes. Flesh and blood can't make you get and see and love, love, treasure the goodness and glory of God in Christ the way that we all need to. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal sin to us. We need the Holy Spirit to uncover ugly motives and ugly sinful patterns of emotions, ugly sinful patterns of our thoughts. We need the Holy Spirit to expose things like arrogance and anger. We need the Holy Spirit to expose complacency and cowardice. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal partiality and pride. We need, you need, I need the Spirit of God to show me my complaining and grumbling and murmuring heart. We need more light to shine. We need more light to shine on our envy and conceit and vanity. We need more light to see ourselves rightly. And the only way to do that is to know the answer to your deepest problems is not found inside you. The answer is on the outside in the revelation of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, Paul says, to me, Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable, the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, the unsearchable riches of Christ. I don't know about you, but I read that and I go, what are those? Those sound important. Those sound, in, those sound valuable. How do you get them? How do you understand them? Indeed, how do you love them? That's what we're after. And I want you to know and delight in. I want us to understand and be consumed by. I want us to increase in knowledge and understanding and love for God in Christ. God has to do this for you. 
and we want to petition. We want to call on. We want to entreat and implore and request and ask and ask and pray and seek that God would do this for us. In 2 Corinthians 4, we're reminded that even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim isn't ourselves. It's not our idea, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake, for God who said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We need the Spirit of God to move. If you're in this room and you don't believe, hey, we're not surprised and we are happy. We're honored that you're here. We're glad that you're here. And if you're here and you don't believe, I've been praying for you all week that this light, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, would shine in your heart today, right now, here. And if you're here and you believe but your heart's grown numb or cold to the glorious revelation of Christ, then ask Ask him. Ask him to wake you up. Ask him to help you taste and see his goodness. Again, Paul says in Ephesians, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? The Ephesian church wasn't too holy to need a prayer like this, and neither are we. Jesus is the answer. And let me get real personal with all of us this morning, including myself, when I say who's Who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that he is? Is he the most important answer to the most important questions of your life? Or is he a framework? Is he an intellectual ideal? Is he an ideology? Has he become a meaningless habit in your life? Do you relate to Jesus like you do your favorite political candidate? Or do you relate to Jesus like he's your Lord. And the answer that Peter gives is the only answer that matters. It changes how you see the world. It changes how you see your sin. And it changes how you see yourself top to bottom. Or do you not know? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of us. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. And how did this great thing happen? It happened in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Jesus is the answer. 
He's the answer that changes everything in your life. Jesus is the central story and reality of the Bible. Jesus is fully God. The Son of God is God the Son. Jesus is fully man. Jesus is self-emptying. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is glorious. Jesus is reigning right now. Jesus is the sacrifice I need for my sin. He's the sacrifice that you need for your sin. And Jesus is risen. He's alive. He's alive. And friends, Jesus is coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming back to judge the living and the dead. There's a day coming and it is a real day when everything is going to be revealed. The curtain's going to be pulled back on your life and everything in the universe. What's been in secret will be exposed in the light. And all our deeds will be weighed. And who you say that Jesus is won't be hidden because it can't be hidden any longer. We do well to come to grips with our answer before that day comes. And the good news The good news is that Jesus is the kind of king and savior and glorious Messiah that doesn't snuff out flickering wicks. He's the kind of king and glorious Messiah that doesn't stomp on bruised reeds. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He calls himself gentle and lowly. He's humble. He'll receive you. He will not turn you away. And for the Christians in this room, he won't turn your humility or your repentance away either. Are you lying to yourself? Are you hiding pet sins? You can walk in the light. He won't turn you away. Are you haughty or proud or too good to discover new sin that you need to repent of? He won't turn you away. Are you anxious this morning? Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Your God will come with vengeance for you. He'll save you. Are you afraid today? Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I'll help you. I'll help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand, Isaiah says. If you're trying to construct an identity outside of Jesus, it will burn. It'll burn. It's building out of stray, or it's building out of straw and hay and stubble, and it will be burned up. If you think that who you are can be defined outside of Jesus Christ, you'll be very disappointed. If you want to, if you want to try to add, add Jesus to your life, as one author puts it, like a bumper sticker on the back of your car that you're driving and you're defining, he won't sponsor your program. Jesus won't be your platform, and he won't be your mascot. He won't function as your genie or your butler. He isn't a hobby, 
and he isn't your sidekick, there's only one right answer to the question that Jesus asked. He's the Christ, the son of the living God. I want to give a couple final words about foundations because Jesus says this phrase, upon this rock I will build my church. The Catholic tradition claims that this warrants the, the idea of apostolic succession ultimately arriving at the office of the Pope all the way to our present day. But the Reformed tradition, men like John Owen, adamantly deny this and claim that the rock that the church will be built upon is the profession and Christ himself. And what's, more, what's important for our time is to name the fact that Jesus is the head of the church, right? His bride, and that he, with the church, will prevail against the gates of hell. In 2 Peter, yeah, in 2 Peter, Peter writes, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, that's Jesus, but in the sight of God's chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. That house is us. That house is the church. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, won't be put to shame ever, ever. Whether or not Jesus is pointing out that he will use Peter in a particular fashion as he begins to build his church through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the stone being laid in Zion. He's the foundation upon which the church is built. He's the anointed deliverer. He's the suffering servant. He's the answer to the most important questions in your life. And right now, I don't know what that question is for you, obviously. I don't know what question wakes you up at 2 a.m. and keeps you up in the middle of the night. I don't know what kind of questions are looming in your life and filling you with stress or anxiety or fear of being caught or fear of being found out, fear of being a failure, fear of the sheer size of what God's called you to. I don't know what the question is in your life that's open-ended, that has you scared or fearful, but I do know what the answer to that question is, and it's Christ himself. Because the Christian life is never promised to be easy, but we are promised he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. He's with you. Hebrews 3.1 says that Jesus is the radiance of of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So as we close this sermon and begin this series, let's end exactly the way we began. Indeed, indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I want us to be able to read that and memorize that and say that with full conviction all the way to the bottom. He won't let you down. Amen? Amen. I want to move at this time in the, sec- in the section of our service where we take communion. A couple things about communion here at Redeemer Fellowship. We welcome anybody here who's putting all of their faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation, for their righteousness before God to come take communion um, with us. The way we do it is we break a piece of bread off and we dip it into a cup. The stoneware has wine in it and the glassware has juice in it. There'll be two stations right in front of me, one station in the balcony, and then there'll be a gluten-free single-serve station over to my left. And then even further to the left, underneath the stained glass window, we have prayer ministers who are there after every single service who would love to pray for anybody in here about anything. If you're not a believer this morning, we have prayers in the cards in the pew in front of you. Um, We're glad that you're here. Welcome. We invite you to not take communion, but to instead to pray, to ask Jesus to reveal himself this morning. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim right now, 2023, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So I'm going to pray for us, and I would invite you all to reflect, ask the Spirit of God, maybe to point out places in your heart that you've allowed Jesus to become functionally a teacher in your life or a good example in your life merely. Invite the Holy Spirit to shine more light on places that you have to Repent, submit, obey. Ask the Holy Spirit to provide places in your heart and life to experience the joyful obedience of what it means to be a Christian. So uh, the musicians are going to come up. The servers are going to come up. I'm going to pray for us. And when I'm finished, you can come up and eat in faith. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your blood that was shed for us. Thank you for your body that was broken for us. Would you stir in the hearts of my friends, Holy Spirit, would you stir in the hearts of my friends, conviction, comfort? Would you strengthen feeble knees? Would you increase, increase faith in the people in this room this morning as they eat in faith, as they walk in faith, as they live their lives in faith. I pray you would bless my friends this morning. 
We look to you. We trust you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come up whenever you're ready.